Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Great job. Thanks, uh, Liam, very much indeed. Great. We are uh, a church that seeks to balance community and celebration. We want to try and take seriously the model of church that uh, they launch in the book of Acts because that seems to be the beginnings. They'd watched Jesus, they'd understood the life that he'd poured into them, and then they'd gone off to try and replicate it. And we know that as we follow the story early on in the book of Acts, there was this this two-prong, this rhythm, this interplay, this balance between being in the temple courts for the celebration and from house to house in uh, community. It was the uh, the Ephesian church, actually, that mastered it probably more successfully than the Jerusalem church. And you would understand that because when you have a go at something for the first time, you make your mistakes. And when you have another go a little bit later, usually that one is more mature and more developed. It was like the church was learning some stuff. And uh, you've heard me track this before, uh, maybe in the New Testament, where you get all the way uh, uh, through the church's growing, and then it reaches this, this high point with the Ephesian church that managed a single church to reach, Paul says, the word of God spread through the whole of Asia Minor. And it was this rhythm of celebration and community that enabled them to have such a wide impact. And so you've heard me say, you've heard me write that the key word all of the time is and. It's not one or the other. It's not a choice between the two, but we need both. And of course, there are always people at, at each ends of the spectrum. There are traditions of church that are, that are putting almost all their emphasis into celebration. And there's a huge event on a Sunday and, and they're struggling to capture community. And then down the other end, you've got house churches and, uh, and uh, cell churches and so on that are putting almost all their effort into uh, uh, community at house uh, or that kind of mid-sized grouping level. And they're trying to work work out what it means to grasp hold of, uh, of celebration. So interestingly enough, wherever the starting point is, it seems like the Spirit of God is awakening uh, us afresh to this balance of and, and, and. We need both. So this morning, uh, I'm going to talk uh, more about why we need community and why that's in the heart of God for us. And then at the end of the summer, as two kind of bookends to the summer as we get into September, uh, I'll talk more about uh, celebration. What I want to talk about then this morning, I've called the family way. The family way. It's the model we see revealed uh, in God himself. It's a model that we see emerging in the Old Testament. It's a model, as I was just indicating, that's reinforced in the New Testament. And then we'll end up zeroing on Jesus and seeing what he has to say about it. And if you're anxious that that could all take quite a long time, you could be right. We have no network. Talk amongst yourselves for a moment and I will be right back with you. No. 
Great, okay, all good. All good. Okay, so we're talking about the family way. And uh, the, the reason that we, we begin here is that God begins here. Right at the beginning of the Old Testament, when uh, we read of those very early reflections on the way God created the world, you will know that it says in the beginning God, he was the only one, everything starts with him, he is the source of all things, and, and he makes the land and the sea and the fish and all the, all the rest of it. And then it gets down to the bit about making uh, human beings, male and female, and it says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. You've heard me talk about this before, and uh, the reason that that's so significant is that we, right at the beginning of the scriptures, right at the beginning of understanding who God is, we get this insight that somehow in God himself is a community, is a set of relationships, is not one person. In fact, the the Hebrew uh, uh, tense uh, is... is, uh, uh, it's not just uh, sing. Sorry, the Hebrew is not just singular or plural, as in two, but more than two. So there's a sense: let us, let more than two of us, which is kind of weird because it's only just said there's one God, which is the mystery of the Trinity, as we know. Let us, more than two people, make mankind in our image. So God, right from the beginning, and we understand because we've read to the end of the book, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We understand that that there's a little family. Right at the beginning in the Godhead, a little community that begins to create others. And we are created what? In his his image, in his likeness. So we are created to be like him. So there's this little family relationship going on in the beginning. And we are created to be like him. A little set of family relationships and so on. Everything God does, these very early verses make clear, comes out of the community that God himself is. And God is family and his mission is a family affair. You will know um, from your reading of the Old Testament that when God calls Abraham to begin a whole journey of saving the whole world, he talks in family terms. I'm going to bless you and I want you to be the father of Many and many nations will be blessed because of you. But it's a little family, Abraham, Sarah, and then their children. And they go on to create a family that in the end will extend to the whole world. But perhaps more significantly, when God super reveals himself in Jesus, it's a family story. Think about the way the Gospels always present the story of Jesus. It's not just that one day, pop, Jesus was born and it's Christmas time. It's not expressed like that. It's expressed in terms of the father sending a son. And you will know that some of the parables that Jesus taught about the, about the son going to the vineyard and the son being rejected and so on. Jesus says about his own life, you don't see me doing anything by myself. I only do what the Father is doing. So Jesus' coming was the Father sending the Son. Jesus' ministry was the Son doing what the Father wants him uh, to do. And then when we move towards the cross, Jesus talks about laying down his life and that God the Father would do what? Would raise him up. And so the whole story is in family terms. It's a family story. 
And if you remember uh, uh, just back to Easter, when Jesus cries out on, on the cross, uh, it's finished. Uh, and what's finished? His, his, his rescuing of the world is finished. Jesus, in his prayer before the cross, talks amazingly about us being one as the Father and Son are one. You remember those uh, verses, super important. May they also be in us, I in them and you in me. Now, this is, this is a mind-blowing verse, and you've heard me say before, I think this is one of the most profound, deeply incredible verses in the whole Bible. Go all the way back to Genesis... You get God, who's a little family unit, creates mankind, um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How tight were those relationships? Fairly tight. Very. Should we go for very? Very tight. Can't get relationships tighter than that. And Jesus says, this is what I'm doing. I'm opening up Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and inviting you in. May they be in us as you are in me and I am in you. What was Jesus doing? He was creating an extended family. That might be a little play on words, but it's a significant one. There's this family in God, and it's opened and inviting the rest of us in through his death on the cross. Secondly then, think about how important the extended family is in the Old uh, Testament. I mentioned about uh, God calling Abraham as the the father of many. But I think perhaps the biggest example is around the Passover. The high point of the festival, sorry, the high point of all of the festivals, when the people of God celebrate their deliverance, a bit like Easter. It's their Easter. And what are the instructions that they should do at Easter, their equivalent, the biggest, highest, most significant, most important festival throughout the Old Testament? They were to gather in their extended family. They were to gather not in their huge masses, not in their tribe or in their clan, but in their extended family. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb from his family, one for each household. That's not two and 2.4 kids and all that. That's, that's their extended family. That oikos, to use the Greek word that we've been talking about over these, uh, over these years. So at the biggest moment, it wasn't in their tribe or in their clan, but what's being emphasized is in their community level, their close-knit set of uh, relationships. Not surprisingly, the New Testament picks this up with our communion when Jesus says, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover uh, with you before I suffer. So the New Testament takes this idea of community and gives it new purpose and new uh, meaning. And we see that all over uh, the New Testament. We see that when Paul writes to the churches, for example, When Paul writes to the church in Rome, if you read Romans chapter 16, it's like he's writing not just to one church, although he is, but it's like he's writing to a collection of extended families, a collection of communities. Because he says, send greetings to so-and-so's household and send greetings to so-and-so's household. And uh, you have five or six communities there that make up the church that Paul's writing to in Rome. 
we see that discipleship primarily took place in households in the New Testament. Because most of the instructions about worship don't make any sense in this context. If you read the, lots of the instructions about uh, worship in Corinthians, for example, Corinthians 12, Corinthians 14, and there are other, other kind of places in the New Testament where there are instructions for worship, it clearly imagines a much more intimate gathering than what we would understand to be the temple, the celebration. And we see that in the book of Acts, as I said earlier, that the primary place for mission and growth of the church was in people's households, which is why. Which is why Peter, writing at the end of it all, in terms of the end of the New Testament journey, has this amazing verse that Andrew uh, appropriately quoted for us at the beginning of the service. You like living stones. You're alive with the Spirit of God. You're being built into what? A spiritual household. Not built into a church or to a clan or a tribe. But you are being built into, Greek word here, oikos, exactly the same word. You're being built into a spiritual household to be a holy priesthood. Now, what did the priests do? What did the priests do? They offered the sacrifices, which enabled what? Which enabled what? So you can come to God. So they did for the forgiveness of sins. We don't need any priests to forgive our sins anymore because we have a high priest. Yeah, big cheer for Jesus, thank you. Uh, uh, we don't need that, but we're, we're holy priests. What did the priests do? The priests were like the doorway, the gateway into the presence of God. You had your sins forgiven, which means you were acceptable to go into worship, to be in the presence of God. So we are being built as living stones into a spiritual household where we enable people to enter into the presence of God. That, that's mission right there. Our, our communities, whatever you want to call them, are places that become temples, mini temples, mini places where people are able to enter and to experience the presence of God, which is what Paul was talking about when he wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 14, when he says, at the end of it all, I pray that people will come into your household, into your extended family, into your community, and they'll go, surely God is in this place. Isn't that an amazing privilege. We get this amazing privilege to encapsulate God's presence in our communities. That's mission. And uh, we are to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Spiritual devotion, which is discipleship. You've got a community of mission and discipleship right there. And I have no doubt that as Peter was reflecting on this, he was thinking about all these community level groups all over the uh, place where where God was at work. So that's how God seemed to do it. There was a family way in God himself, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. But what about Jesus? How did, how did Jesus do it? In fact, before we do that, let's just, let's just do, this might be useful. It might not. In the words of Paul Daniels, you might like it, not a lot. You're so old if you remember Paul Daniels on a Saturday, Saturday evening. Like it, not a lot. I have no doubt, Chris, that you will. It's a circle. So this is what we might have traditionally called church, but we know that church is much bigger than that. Let's see if we can get a pen that works. That one doesn't work. This is in keeping with everything that hasn't gone right this morning. Every single thing. 
excites me when that happens because it's like God's up to something when it all goes wrong, isn't it? So we call that celebration now because we recognize that to call this church isn't good enough, is it? Because it doesn't tell the whole story. Yeah? Now, without being too offensive, and you're thinking, why worry about that now? Without being too offensive, this is you. Yeah? And we would think, usually... Uh, The model that we inherited, the way I grew up, so I'll only speak for myself, the way I grew up, what seemed natural and normal to me is that I would take responsibility as an individual and I would go into celebration and I would go back out into my life, yeah? And that's how we would generally think about it. The New Testament seems to offer a different model, that there isn't an individual, but there are always a collection of people. I'm the little one, yeah? And then there are some really big people. Doesn't seem fair, does it? And that might be a community of people. And instead of us circling into celebration as individuals, the model of the New Testament is that people are gathering in these households and then there's kind of a togetherness when they go into celebration and go back out into their, into their lives. Because this is, not, this is not an event, this is their life where they're living in relationship and community together. So if we think about that, if that's true, if that's what we see in the New Testament, then we would expect, wouldn't we, to see that reflected in Jesus, who above all is our ultimate model. You with me? So we we would want to see this full center in the life and ministry of Jesus if it's a key thing for us to wrestle with and grab hold of. So... We need then um, to build, if the theory is correct, these extended families because that's the model that's being uh, presented to us. But I think there are two, and we'll lay this out before we get into Jesus, two major obstacles, two major challenges that we face before uh, we are open, perhaps, to hearing the Scriptures speak to us in this way. And it's better to get some of the obstacles up front before we hear the word of God because um, occasionally we've applied our own filters to God's word. You won't have done that, I know, but there are some people that sometimes do that. You know, they they know what they think and then they apply that into... So so what are are the sort of challenges around this that we can observe that? Well, I think the first one is, is how we think. As soon as we start talking about community or especially the word family... Most, not most of us, at least half of us, legitimately might feel, well, this is nothing to do with me. Because I'm not married, um, maybe I'm divorced or widowed, uh, I'm single, or I haven't got any children. Now, that makes up at least half of our church. And so the meal that we talk about family or extended family, people go, oh, well, that, that doesn't include me. And this is one of the obstacles, one of the barriers that we need to surmount. Because, uh, honestly, that must feel super isolating. If that's the take-home message, that's a very lonely place and accentuates uh, a sense of isolation, which is the exact opposite of what the New Testament is trying to uh, achieve. So we think of family in terms of 2.4 kids and all of that stuff. And we put that nuclear family model as our primary filter. But actually, you could argue, and if you've read some of my blogs, you will have seen me argue that the nuclear family is a relatively recent 
uh, experiment that's gone terribly wrong in our country, in our culture. Uh, And why has it gone terribly wrong? Because we weren't naturally designed to live like that. We've chosen to live like it because economically now we can, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the most helpful way for us to uh, live. The second big barrier, I think, when we start talking about family stuff, is that people go, actually, family sucks. There's probably hardly anyone here for whom there isn't an aspect of their family that sucks. Probably. Families are super painful. They can be super disappointing. They hurt in ways other relationships and other things don't hurt. Who's with me? And so we carry deep scars around family because it's so painful sometimes, so broken sometimes, and we can have weeping wounds all about it. So when someone comes along and says, let's build family, Rightly, we go, no thanks. I've got enough problems with the one I can't get rid of, let alone starting a new one. And so we go, no. How do we think? We think it's nothing to do with us. How do we feel? We feel like we don't want it anyway. Thank you very much. I would much prefer to be on my own. Thank you very much. And sometimes we're in families and we go, I'm just going to look after myself. I'm just going to look after number one. And we reduce our journey again back into something more individualistic than the New Testament imagines. So with those things in mind, let's zero in on Jesus and see where that takes us. Thinking about Jesus. Jesus, um, remember, if he's in the family way, we will see it full and center. Uh, You might want to open your Bibles at Luke chapter 4. Um, just be helpful perhaps just to have it there so you can see what I'm um, talking about. What number is the, in the few Bibles? 1030. 1030, 1030. This is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's sitting in the synagogue. Who's with him in the synagogue? His family. They're all there together. That's, that's what they did. They would have lived in an extended household Uh, Joseph would have been the leader of the household. There might have been Joseph's brother or other family relationships or whatever. We don't know what happened to Joseph. Speculation that maybe he died while Jesus was young, but we don't know. So he's there with his family. Certainly his mother's around, and certainly his brothers are around, and maybe sisters too. And he gets up and he speaks in the synagogue. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, set the oppressed free. So it's his manifesto, isn't it? It's what he's uh, about to do. And he rolls up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. So there's this family kind of context and family conversation. He's just one of us. He's just the local lad, and here is his family. So far, so good. But then Jesus makes an honest comment about their hearts and exposes the lack of faith in their hearts. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. So he speaks right into their national pride and speaks right into their lack of faith in him. I assure you, 
He goes on, verse 25, that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to the widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Uh, And the point he's making is there were many people who should have had faith, but actually they didn't. In other words, you guys, you should be the ones with the faith, but you haven't. Verse 28, all the people in the synagogue, who's in the synagogue? His family. He's sitting with his family. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. Cousins, uncles, aunts, schoolmates, mum, brothers, maybe dad. Verse 29, they got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Gosh, who's doing that? The Pharisees, the enemies, the horrible people? The na- No, this is not just his village. This is his family. You think you've got problems with your family. And this is a a super serious point. If we think that Jesus doesn't understand the reality of the pain and hardship and brokenness in our families, then this verse needs to come to us afresh. Thinking about Jesus, his family rejected him. Imagine the weight of that for Jesus. The family man who had been in the family way, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The rejection was enormous. And I didn't really see that for a long time in reading the Gospels. you with me? I didn't think much about that. So when there's that tension, when Mary and the brothers rock up to Jesus, and he's like, well, who are my brothers and sisters? You know, And Jesus seems a bit funny. Can you see what's going on there? There's this massive breakdown in the family here. Never has the Christmas reading been so true. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. If anyone on earth could say family sucks, Jesus had every right to do that. If anyone on earth could have said, do you know, I tried with my family, but I'm out of here. I don't need family. I'm going to do this mission by myself. Jesus would have done that. If anyone could have justified being a super individual in everything going forward, we would have understood that because of the pain and sense of betrayal that he's been through. But what does he do? God is in the family way. Jesus has lost his family. Choice. Go it alone, harden your heart, stiff up a lip, or find a new family. Even the Son of God needed a family to fulfill his calling. So he started to build a new one. Jesus left the synagogue. You can see it's still there in Luke chapter 4, skipping on a few little bits, up to around verse 38, verse 39. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. So she got up at once and began to wait on them. He went to Capernaum. This is what Jesus does in the rest of Luke chapter 4. He goes to Capernaum, finds a person of peace in the name of Peter, someone who's open to him. He enters Peter's household where his mother-in-law is sick. And you will see as you read through the next few chapters that Jesus builds his new mission out of this new family. The flat roof, when they dug a hole in the roof and so on, that's out of the household of Peter where Jesus begins to build afresh. Thinking about Jesus, his family rejected him, but he builds a new family in order to go about the mission to which God 
has called him to. And you can read more about it in in chapters 5 and so on of Luke. And then there's this concluding verse. Uh, uh, When Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid, from now on you will fish for people. Verse 11 of chapter 5. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed him. Change of family, as a new family is created, becomes a change of family business. Now, pause for a moment because we've traveled a long way, super fast. So Jesus is a single man without a family of his own because they've rejected him in terms of his mission. But he builds a new family of 12 core relationships with 12 other men. In other words, Jesus totally redefines what we in the present, in our present culture, might think of and talk about when we talk about uh, family. If we are tempted to think that extended family doesn't apply to us because we're single, because we don't have children, because a, a relationship is broken down, because our own family is difficult, whatever it is, Jesus has already, in a sense, been there and modeled the way forward for us. If you feel that family is the last thing that you want to build because it's been so painful, been so disappointing and you're still carrying the scars, then you will know that Jesus understands and can take you through it in the same way that he himself has already gone and blazed the trail. Does any of that make any sense? Jesus totally redefines family. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. A spiritual family, a spiritual oikos that transcends, is bigger, that isn't confined by barriers of flesh and blood. And so it goes on through the New Testament. Paul may be a single man, we don't know. Some people say that his wife was the thorn in his flesh, but that's a bit harsh just a joke. Paul, single man or maybe not, talks about a son who clearly isn't his son, whose name was Timothy, the family way. Let's bring all this into land. So as soon as Jesus left the disciples in Acts, we see them in the family way. Acts chapter 2 is all about them building family together. And the gospel grew through that family building. So just two questions and we've got two minutes to go. Two questions. Are you part of a Burlington community, a Burlington family? You will know, and our default is to put up information about things and to say, these are all the families, these are all the communities, this is the missional community, this is this and this, which one do you want to join? We would like and always want to make it much more personal than that because it's super difficult to knock on someone's door and say, I'm about to join your family, is that okay? So we'd always like to be more the dating agency that makes that a lot easier. But in that place, there are two things that get answered that, as I said last week, we most struggle with. People say, I don't belong. And people say, I'm really struggling to know how to do this mission. Well, missional communities are a place to belong that helps you do mission. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't have put it better uh, than Jill put it last week about come and join us at Impact. A place to belong that will help you engage in God's mission. Now, rightly so, people say on the negative side, well, all of these groups, they just become cliques. Now, of course, 
in our humanness, that is the biggest challenge and the biggest danger. And you will know that danger because you've all been in a group and someone else wanted to join and you've thought, I don't really want them to join this group because I quite like it as it is. You've thought that, haven't you, all of you? We've all thought that. And I wonder whether Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had a sneaky suspicion, a sneaky whisper and went, do you know what, just the three of us, it's quite good really. Why are we going to open it up to all these weird people? And that is the challenge, which is why almost every week in different ways, I say there are probably, I don't know, eight, ten different communities of different organizations, teams, missional communities, small groups in this church that are open to all of you. Open to all of you. You can join anyone you want, anytime you want. Because that's the ministry to which God has called us to. To open up the family that we enjoy, wherever that is, and to welcome other people in. So personal introductions, a place to belonging and mission. But maybe you look around at all of those, and I don't want to join any of them. They're not the right people, and they don't do the right thing, and they don't meet at the right time. Start one then. Start one. How hard can this be? Because we're made for this stuff. We've been built for it. Designed for it. Let us make mankind in our image. We're made for it. It's our perfect fit. Second question then is, if you're part of a community, how can or how will your community become more a family? How can you move those relationships to express something more of this sense of togetherness? And the summer is a significant time for many in that, when some of the structural things are lighter and it gives more opportunity for relationships to develop. Now, there is, I think, the kind of um, silver bullet. Why do we call it a silver bullet and not a gold bullet? Anybody know? I've got no idea. Werewolves. What? Okay, that's way beyond my cognitive understanding. We'll have to, we'll have to do that next week. Werewolves. Because that's real life, right? Right there. This stuff, hard to imagine, but werewolves, <laughs> we're right in with that. Uh, I was just thinking, because I'd like a gold bullet, if I could have a silver one or a gold, but the silver bullet of this, I think, is that we invite people not to do extra stuff, and this is where our mindset is weird. We kind of have our little units and do our stuff. Oh, I need to do something with others, so I find something new, something extra to do. The silver bullet is just to invite people to do what you're already, already doing. You're going shopping, invite a few people to go shopping. You're going for a walk, invite a few people to go for a walk. If you're doing your personal devotions, invite a few people to do your personal devotions together. You know, it's a, a real growing kind of reality is that, is that people do their personal devotions by themselves some days and other days they meet together with other people and do it that way. So things that we're already doing and we can make lists of these things that we already do and the piece to resistance, of course, is meals. I doubt that you will forget to eat between now and the end of the summer. So there is a perfect opportunity every single day for us to do something that increases the depth of relationship. And meals are unique things, aren't they? When Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock, if anyone come in uh, and eat with me, that that wasn't an invitation, was it, for a Big Mac? That was an invitation for relationship for time, for connection, for intimacy. And oddly enough, we've made that an evangelistic verse, but it was a message to Christians. For goodness sake, will you let me in and let me eat and share around your uh, table, shared resources and so on. As we learn to build family, 
that is always willing to open itself and welcome others in. And then when we balance that with supporting those communities by being part of a bigger clan, a tribal gathering, a celebration, that's the sweet spot that I think will enable us to be much more, even more than we are now, uh, in the sweet spot of mission and uh, discipleship. Let's pray. Maybe as we just uh, reflect on these uh, thoughts this morning, we find ourselves needing perhaps to just, just turn around for some wrong thinking. We've, we've decided that I'm better on my own. It's easier on my own. I'll keep myself to myself. And I'm beginning to realize that I'm cutting myself off from what Jesus would have me do. Maybe some of us are just feeling so hurt by relationships that have broken maybe in our own actual families or we've tried to build community and we've got hurt and wounded and broken as a result because we're all frail, broken human beings. And we just invite Jesus into that brokenness today, recognizing that he absolutely knows how that feels. He stood on a cliff with his family about to push him off. He, he knows that level of rejection from those who were his own. And he, with the Father, worked through that so he can work through it in us too. Maybe we just want to say, I want to review, renew my commitment. My commitment to build family with those God has given me. I love this final verse that's now on the screen. Let God sets the lonely in families. We need to be a collection of families so that everyone belongs. So that no one's on their own. So that we're all included. Something not for the few, but for the many. And we thank you, Lord, for every time someone has found a spiritual home in a network of relationships, a community, part of this whole church family. Thank you. Thank you for times when people who thought they would never belong anywhere have found somewhere to belong here. And thank you for every time that people have belonged and they've discovered what Peter was talking about that, that that community becomes like a, a priesthood, a, a place, a gateway into the presence of God. That around a table, in a home, during a walk, in a coffee shop, in life's ups and downs, suddenly the manifest presence of Jesus has been right there because he lives within the community of his people. And so we lift our hearts and our voices to you in response and offer you our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Great, I thought I'd done, but I thought of something while I was sitting there. And you know communication is a bit weird, isn't it? Because you say something and you're not quite sure how it lands. So just to make sure that, that there's no miss... Yeah, you can sit down, because this is about another 20 minutes of stuff I need to talk to you about. <laughs> no, um, uh, Jesus, was, Jesus was gloriously reconciled to his earthly family. Yeah, so it's not about we say two oots to our families and we push off never to be seen again. There were some amazing moments. Think of the cross when Jesus says to John, look after my mum. And James, one of Jesus' brothers, became one of the powerhouses in the early church. So it's not that we leave them in that sense and never long for them to come with you. with me? Just concerned I might have left some kind of loose end there that we take away that would have been unhelpful. Bless you. Go on. Let's do something else.